بسم الله الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين شر لا إله إلا الله وأشهر محمد عبده ورسوله ما بعد الحمد لله رب العالمين for those of you listening in English language you're probably saying what is this well first of all I'll introduce myself I'm Yusuf Estes the National Muslim Chaplain for the World Assembly of Muslim Youth here in the United States of America operating out of Washington D.C. and broadcasting today almost live all the way from Queens, New York where at Masjid Ali Man with our brothers here who came for the Fajr Salat and they're sticking around to see what's going to happen next inshallah so we're going to have a little program going to run about oh maybe 28 minutes and hopefully inshallah we're going to be on time this morning and then following that we're going to have something called free hajj without visa without hadi without sacrifice and of course we're talking about when the sun comes up if you stayed in the masjid after the fajr salat and you prayed two rakahs for duha then inshallah allah he record for you that you made the umrah another hadith said the hajj so we say hajj wa umrah inshallah we ask allah to accept it now we'll move forward to mention that our program today is regarding what we call the harsh questions about Islam. I'm going to repeat it. The topic is called the harsh questions about Islam. And this is a series actually that we're doing. And the idea behind it is to present the rational arguments in favor of Islam. And by the way, one of the things that we'll do in our opening here is to give a translation of what I said when I opened up. I said the praise is for the one true God Almighty. And we seek His help and His guidance. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for His blessings upon His last and final messenger. And for those who are of His household and His followers. And as to what proceeds, our subject today is going to be, as I said, about the harsh questions. And in dealing with this first let me outline what harsh questions are second of all how we should approach the subject and then the third what should be our references and fourth the way to deliver the answer okay the first uh, part is what is a harsh question a harsh question is not just a question somebody come to you and say well why do you make wudu before you pray that's not a harsh question that's a good question and these questions are in Islam and we should respond because this is a part of learning. We don't just say, do it. Because Islam is the true religion of Allah. And if you cannot ask a question about Islam, then you can't ask a question about anything. Because what else is there to have truth about? So our children and our friends and our relatives and everybody has the right to ask. You have the right to ask. I have the right to ask questions. So we're not talking about these questions. Even if they say like, well, I don't see why you pray five times a day. That's not a harsh question. Still not a harsh question. It becomes a harsh question when somebody makes fun of it and it makes it look like that it's wrong. And then they try to tie it into something like terrorism or tie it into something like oppression, bullying, and these things are not acceptable. So at that stage, we're going to say those are harsh questions. Second of all, we're going to say, now, how do we treat that? How do we respond? And the response from us must be in a very positive manner. Either, either you begin by saying, I'm not able to give you the answer this minute, but I will help you to get the answer. 
Okay? That's one choice. Or you will say to them the answer if you know the answer. This is the two. You don't say to them like, shut up, or I don't like you, or get away from my face. No. Because if he asks a question and you say, well, I don't like his way. I don't either. But still, the Prophet wasallam, he's our model, he's our, he's our uh, role model or guide. So, we have to follow his way. Khayru hadi hadi Muhammad This is the expression in Arabic. The best guidance is to follow Muhammad. Peace be upon him. So, what was his way? And we know this from his sunnah, his methodology, his minhaj was always that when they acted with harshness toward him, he returned it back with kindness. He turned it back at least with respect. Sometimes it's hard to be kind. One time they put the insides of a camel, a dead camel, they put the insides of this camel on his back while he was praying and with his head down on the ground praying to God. And this is the way they treated him. One time he went to talk to some his distant relatives in a place called Atai. And this was uh, uh, out of respect in the Arabic custom that people should always at least listen to you and give you food and a place to stay for three days just because you came to visit. But instead these people treated him horrible. And they wouldn't even listen to him and they began to throw rocks on him. The street children began to throw rocks at him and stone him which is the most disrespectful, disgusting kind of punishment you can give anybody. And he had done nothing except call the people to what? The message of Islam. But look how he responded. He was offered the chance by the angel. The angel came to him and told him, if you just say the word, Allah will cause the mountains to fall on these people. He said, no. He said, I'll pray for them instead. And he prayed and asked Allah to make people from this Community worship God alone without any partners. And from these people came the ones who opened up India and they opened up uh, different places to the true Islam. And from them, I personally met a person from Taif, a very good friend of mine, who's, by the way, his father still owns camels. Yes, it's true, yes. And this one has been very helpful with the Muslims in Islam in this country. I'm just saying that the, our response needs to be the same response as Muhammad, peace be upon him, and all of the prophets. When people came to attack them and hurt them and put them down, as our prophet Jesus, peace be upon him, is attributed to have said, that if a man strikes your one cheek, you turn the other one to them. So this is, is certainly a good approach in this respect. When people come to us with these questions, the harsh questions, then we have to be careful and we have to respond. The second, third now, the third thing is to mention, how will we give the answer? We have to, we have to appreciate something. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, God Almighty has given us an opportunity now to explain our religion. We haven't had this chance. We are complaining all the time. Do we complain? Yes. We're very good at complaining. This is one thing all the Muslims around the world, we can join the club of complaining because we're good at this subject. Yes or no? Yes. So, here's a chance. 
for us to do the thing that we said we can't do. We said, we don't have TV, we don't have the radio, we don't have a newspaper. How can we get the message of Islam to the people? Well, the, the newspaper, the radio, and the TV already did it for you. They already got the people interested. They did free advertising, right? Now the guy's in your face and he's asking you, okay, the best way now is to do what? Show him the truth. Because, wallahi, stop and think. They're advertising against Islam, right? But the one thing that they forgot is they have no personal contact with these people. You do. You have the biggest advantage. You have personal contact. PC. And I call it PC. Personal contact. With that PC, that personal contact, you have the advantage over the television. They don't know that TV's telling the truth. They don't know the newspaper's telling the truth, but they can look you in the eye and say, are you telling the truth? And if you tell the truth, and another Muslim tells the truth, they're going to start and think. And that's what happened to me when I came to Islam. That's exactly what happened to me. I met a Muslim. Then I met another Muslim. I met another Muslim. And every time I met a Muslim and I talked to him, they said the same exact thing. No difference. One was from Jordan. And one was from Egypt. These are different places. They don't know each other. Yet, how do they say exactly the same thing? How? Unless what? It must be true. Now, this brings us now to a very important point of the harsh questions. Tell the people. Now, here's how you set it up. Are you ready? Okay. First, come to you. How come you Muslims are mistreating women? Why do you hate women? Was that a hard question? That's a harsh question. Because it has a lie in it. It implies something that's not true about Islam. In Islam, do we hate women? No way. We love women. In fact, this is a part of our religion. Seriously. We're allowed to have four wives. Why would we want four wives if we don't love women? We're told in the Jannah we're going to have at least two wives in Jannah. Yes or no? Yes. Horlain means two. I want to think about that for a second. If what he's saying is true, why would we want women at all? We would be like those monks who go off in the mountains. If we, we, we're Muslims, we say we worship Allah, right? So we would just go in the mountains and just live up in the mountains or in the trees or a cave and pray to Allah all the time, right? But there's something that we're having relationship with women and they're saying, no, it's bad that you oppress them, you beat them, you hate them, you have too many wives, you disrespect the women. They say it, right? That's a harsh question. And let's begin in the correct way to respond. First of all, tell them that I thank you for a chance to speak about Islam. And if you'd like to know the truth, I would like to sit with you and talk about it. Because I think you're an honest person. And I think you would like to know the truth. Would you like to know the truth? What will he say? No, I want to know a lie. No, he already knows lies. So he'll say, yeah. You say, well, I think you're an honest person. So we'll start with that. The next thing is to tell him that there's such a thing as a question and there's such a thing as a statement. 
A question has a question mark. A statement either has a period or exclamation point. Yes? That's English. Hmm. But what you just said actually was not a question. You didn't ask me a question. You made a statement. But you put a question mark at the end of your statement. You said, why do we Muslims hate women? Or you said, why do you Muslims mistreat your wives? Or why do you beat women? Or why do you oppress the women? Your question is not a question. It's a statement. And it's false. I'll give you an example. And I want you to think about it. If I come to you and I say to you, would you please answer a question for me? I need you to answer yes or no. Will you answer? You said yeah. Okay. Is your mother out of prison yet? My mother's not. No, 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 no. Yes or no. But my mother's not in that. No, no, no. Is your mother still in prison? Yes or no? No. Okay, I'm glad she got out of prison. He said, but, but, you see, see, because I'm giving you a question that has a lie in it. How can you answer me? Besides that, I have insulted you. I have insulted your mother. And I'm really, really a bad person to ask a question this way. Is that true? And everything you're hearing about Islam and Muslims is coming from where? Did you read this in the encyclopedia? No. Did you read it in your Bible? Did you read it in the Quran? No. So where are you getting all this information from? Television? Magazines? Radio, newspapers, reports, internet. Is this your source? Now I'm going to ask you a question. Is that the best place to get information? When it comes to the subject of belief? Now think. Because what I'm going to show you now is that if a person constantly sees that a signs are pointing in one direction, what kind of person is he if he goes the other way? If you see all the signs pointing in one direction, what will you be if you go the other way? And right now, your signs are all pointing away from Islam. Isn't that right? And this maybe is why you're acting like this. Am I right? But if you begin to see that pointers are going the other way, are you ready to act on it? Because this is really going to be your test. Because if what you think is wrong, if all of this information turns out to be the other way, what will you do? I'm asking you this question. Listen to me carefully. I'm asking you, if the answer I give you on this or any or all of the questions turns out to be something good, turns out to be something positive, turns out to be something you didn't know, are you prepared to worship your Lord alone without any partners? He's going to go, huh? What are you talking about? Because let me explain. You're asking me about Islam. 
Islam is all about believing in God and giving all your love and all your affection and all your devotion and all of your worship to Him alone without any partners. It's called the first commandment for the Jewish religion. It's called the highest commandment in the Christian religion. And it's called the foundation of the Aqidah of the Muslim. It's the foundation, the hard rock, the bedrock of Islam is to know there is a law and to know that you can only worship Him alone without any partners. And that's what Islam is about. Otherwise, if you're asking me about what Arabs do, there are Arab Christians. There are Jewish Arabs. There are atheists that are Arabs. And if you're asking me why do Arabs do something, I'm going to say, go ask an Arab. I'm not an Arab. If you're going to ask me why Pakistanis do something, these people are the same as people from Hindustan. Go ask them. But if you're asking me about Islam, then you're asking about the religion that says worship your Lord alone without any partners. Now, based on what I just said, are you prepared to hear the real answer what Islam says? You're going to see their faces changing completely by now. They're not the same person you started with. Because he didn't think you were going to say that. He thought you were going to go, Yes, we hate them. No. He's surprised. He didn't know you were going to talk like this to him. You tell him that, listen, on the subject of women, and this is what we'll take this morning, and this will be uh, the subject of the role of the women in Islam and how to answer this harsh question about the general treatment of the women. In Islam, everything is based on rights. This is the first statement. Everything in Islam is based on rights. What are the rights that your Creator and your Sustainer has on you? What are the rights? It's called Haq of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It is to worship Allah alone without any partners. It is to worship Him, the one who created you, and not something He created. That's right number one. And if you can't get that, forget everything else. Because it won't matter. Right number two is the right of the messenger who brought the message, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, And that means the prophets who came since Adam, since Noah, and since Eunice, Jonah, I'm talking about Jonah, Abraham, Moses, David, Solomon, Jesus the Christ, peace be upon him, and of course Muhammad, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, because each of them, each of them has a right because they have delivered a message to the best of their ability to the people. So it's up to the people to respect them and to give them their rights. And their rights are to be followed. And what did they do? They worshiped God alone without any partners. So they have rights. And after that is the rights that your parents have. Your body has rights in Islam, by the way. Your wife. Now we're going to talk about women. Your mother, by the way, is a woman too. It's mentioned in the Bible that even before murdering somebody, because this is a big forbidden thing to do in any religion is to kill people, right? Thou shalt not kill, it says in the Bible, but the commandment before that is to honor your mother and honor your father. 
honor your parents. And this is Islam. So your mother is one of the two parents. And it specifically tells us about this in the Quran and in the Hadith of the sayings and teachings of Muhammad That we have to do what? We have to give the rights to our mother and we also have to give rights to our wives. And it tells us in the Quran, rights. And the rights to our neighbor and the rights to the children and the rights to the teachers and the rights to the leaders of the country. All of them have rights. And we're not Muslim. We're not following Islam if we're not giving people their rights. So this is the first lesson that you're teaching this person. Islam is about what? Rights. Rights. Now let's look. Let's look at the condition of women. And I'm going to break this down into three short parts, inshallah. Keep in mind, you're listening to Islam Tomorrow. You can visit us on the internet at www.islamtomorrow.com for a rebroadcast of this and other great programs about Islam, the Muslims in today's world. And tomorrow's world, that's why we call it Islam Tomorrow. Okay, now, to deal with this question specifically, why do you hate women? Why do you abuse women? Why do you treat them so badly? Okay, we already talked about the first thing in Islam is rights, and the first right is Allah. And Allah has commanded us how to treat women. Read it in the Qur'an. And we'll be happy to give you a free translation to the English language of the Qur'an. The meaning. It's, you can't translate it exactly because it's Allah's speech. But we can help give you the meaning of it. It's free. You can go to our internet website, islamtomorrow.com slash free. F-R-E-E. Now that's not hard to remember. And that's how you get a free Qur'an. Give us your address and we'll send it to you. We'll pay for the postage. We'll send it out. For, this is for non-Muslims. And it's for new Muslims who don't have Qur'an, would like to know the Qur'an, and will do that. And while they're waiting, we'll also link them up to the internet to our Qur'an online. They can start reading it immediately, same day. And see, anywhere in the Qur'an does it teach us to mistreat the women. Go ahead. Now, if somebody knows the Qur'an, like some of the Arab Christians, and they want to try to attack Islam they will take a bad translation of the Qur'an and says, and beat them. And you go get the Qur'an and you look up, there it is, and beat them. Who? Beat them. Who? Your wives. Oh, there, see, it says it in the Qur'an, beat them, beat them, look, oh, 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 my God. You beat your wives. Bad translation. How many of you know the ayah I'm talking about? It clearly says it in English. It says it in English and beat them. Wow! We found it. There it is. There it is. In the book of God. In Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's book, the Quran, and beat them. There you go. That's it. Finished. I'm not going to look at nothing else. There are 6,327 ayahs or verses of the Quran. And you only picked three words. And beat them. You pick three words out of one verse and you didn't even read the whole verse and you didn't read what's before it and you didn't read the explanation of it. All you want to do is say, and beat them. Aha! That's it. That's finished. That's it. There there you go. And I'm going to ask you, if you accept that, can we do the same thing with your Bible? 
Can we do the same thing with your Bible and just take some words out? And I'll ask you, will you accept that? Because if you'll accept that, I'll show you something that will scare you to death. If you want to accept that. Because it clearly states in the Bible that David is the Son of God. The begotten Son of God. Psalms chapter 2 verse 7. But it also clearly states that Adam is the Son of God. Luke chapter 3, the last verse in the book of Luke. And Adam is the Son of God. And it clearly states in the Bible in John 3.16 that God's only got one begotten Son. So it has to be David. Because they're going to say, well, Adam is not begotten. Okay. He was created. Okay. So that only leaves David. Because it says clearly in the Old Testament, he's the begotten son. So what are you going to say now? Oh, oh. Well, my subject's not about the Bible. Well, my subject's about the Quran. And you just took three words. So let's look at what it really says. Go to the verses connected with this and then read the explanation of the translation. And you'll find that this is talking about how to deal with women, your wife, when she's being bad and she's committing lewd behavior. She's doing something really bad. Okay? Suppose, as an example, a woman is going down the street and she's not dressing properly. Suppose she's wearing like shorts, halter top, her breasts maybe too close to being exposed. And you said to her, look, this, I don't like this. You don't have the right in Islam to divorce her. You can't just divorce her like this. You said, oh, she walked outside without her proper clothing on? I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you. You cannot do that. Islam forbids me to do that. I have to give her a chance. She has rights. And this is talking about her rights. First, you admonish her. It says that. Why didn't you read that part? It says admonish her. And how do you admonish? You say, listen, that's inappropriate behavior. That is not the correct dress in Islam. I don't like to see you do this. Now you have to behave yourself. If she continues, Islam teaches us that you have to have arbitrators. Now this means that you have to get some members of your family and some members of her family and sit them together and then the man and the wife have to agree to the outcome of the mashura or the uh, meeting. So the relatives will sit and they'll listen to the subject and they'll say, well, really, we, she's wearing her clothes are down low enough. She's wearing this high enough. You're asking her to put something on her face or maybe you're asking her to wear gloves all the time. And she doesn't want to do that. So now we see a different picture. So her relatives and your relatives sit and you're with them and everybody agrees you're going to take it easy on her and they're going to remind her when you're out in public, you don't dress like that. But at home, you, you don't like to run around in a skirt or just like something you know, in your house, because it, the rule for men and women is the same in Islam. You have to be covered from your navel to your knees. Okay? Except when you're out in public. Even the man, he should have something over his shoulders. He, a lot of places they have the custom, he should have something on his head. And this is considered respectable. It's not a fard, by the way, that you have to wear a kufi. But I'm saying it's respectable in a lot of communities. 
So once you realize that there is something here, you have to work together. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has other verses in the Quran that says that once you have referred a matter to Allah, meaning the Quran, and His Messenger, meaning the Sunnah, and then you found the answer that you have no faith in your Lord until you have done such a thing, and then you come away with nothing in your heart except to say we hear and we obey. That's in An-Nisa, chapter 4, verse 65. So that we understand the Quran is telling us this is a part of our belief and the rights that you give to a person is to base it not on your feeling, on your notion, on your logic, but to base it on what Allah, the creator and sustainer of the universe, has said. Next, suppose she still won't behave. She still won't dress properly. She still is doing something really bad that even her relatives said it's bad. Even your relatives said it's bad, but she still is going to persist in it. Then the second stage is what? Leave her bed. Leave her bed. Means that you don't sleep with her at night. You don't have intercourse with her. You left her bed. But you're still in the same house. But she gets the idea. This man is serious. Because once a woman sees a man is not sleeping with her for a couple of weeks, she's going to go, uh-oh, he's serious. He's real serious. He can live without me and he's showing that to me. That he could live without me. Now look at this, what the Quran is telling. It doesn't say go get another wife, does it? It says leave her bed. And then, and then if she still persists after that, to show as an example, as an indication to her that this is the final straw, as we say in English, the straw that breaks the camel's back. So that's what you take as a straw or something no bigger than a pen or a toothbrush because the Prophet ﷺ talked about this as being nothing more than a toothbrush or tooth stick. They used to use a little stick to clean their teeth called miswak. And it's about, oh, about six inches long. Not as big as a ruler. A size of a pencil. And then you tap her with it so that she knows that you're serious. And it's one. Just one tap. Not something in the face. Not doubling up your fist. Not trying to knock her through the wall. This is not what Islam is teaching you. It's an indication to her that... And then it says, if... You didn't even read the rest of the ayah. If you think it will be a benefit to her. But if you see that it's not, then don't waste your time. Divorce her. But if you said, okay, I think this will work. Let me go up to her. I'm going to say, this, this is your last chance. Look, there you are. Now, what do you say? She says, I'm still not going to do it. Okay. Thank you very much. Have a nice life. Assalamu alaikum. Because your marriage is over. And Islam is permitting divorce. We have a surah called At-Talaq, which means divorce. We allow it, but we don't like it. Nobody likes it. It's not a fun thing to go through. You suffer, she suffers, the children suffer, the family suffer, community suffers. It's something shaitan loves the divorce. But it's permitted. It's permitted. But we try to avoid it and we try to give everybody their rights. But when you see that you're not compatible in the in situation anymore, you're not allowed to beat her. The Prophet, peace and blessing be upon him, forbid that anybody beat their wives. In his last speech, the famous speech that they talk about, which is the khutbah, the hajj, when he said to everybody, hajj wada, with the, this is the famous khutbah, the speech that he gave. He said, 
it's forbidden to beat your wives. He said, the best of you are the best of your wives. And he was talking about don't beat them. He said, how can you beat them in the day and want to go into them at night? He forbid it. So, know that this is not talking about beating your wives. It doesn't even say that. Read the context. Now you have seen example already of an indicator that didn't point this way to the right, but it pointed to the left. You've seen something that used to, you thought it was pointing down, but it's actually pointing up. Now you have to ask yourself a question. Who purposely took just this out of the Quran and said it? Who did such a thing to you? Because if you don't trust them now, then consider this. Can you trust anything they said? You need to rethink your position. Because if you find what I'm going to tell you now to be true, then you're going to have to ask yourself a serious question. Why is everybody else lying? Okay, let's look. You say Islam is harsh on women. You say that Islam is having you know, permission to beat women. To mistreat them. I can go through and show you categorically every single situation you're talking about is the opposite of what you think. Including, for instance, they say, well, why can you have four wives and a woman can have one husband? It's about rights of the women. This is women's rights. It's not giving men extra rights because when the verse came, men had no limitation on how many wives they could have. It limited them to four. Some of them had to divorce wives. Oops. You didn't know that. Yeah, that's right. Some of them had to divorce their wives because they could only have four. Not a thousand, not five hundred, not two hundred. Four was maximum. And it didn't even say that. It said you could marry your wives by two, by three, by four, only if, and look at this limitation. First of all, the limitation was four. Huh? But only if you can treat them with equality, balancing your money between all of them. They all get a nice house. They all get nice cars. They all get nice clothes. They all get the same thing. Or else, and this is the big limitation, otherwise you can only marry one. I've got a couple of questions for you. Are you aware of the fact there are 1.5 billion Muslims in the world today? There are 1.7 billion Christians in the world today. Divorce amongst the Muslims worldwide is still in the single digits. Even though we're very influenced by the West, we're watching TV, we're listening to their music, and we're copying almost everything they do. Still, our divorce rate is very low. We marry one woman, we stay with one woman. Our divorce rate is low. Low divorce. And how many wives? Almost all of these men have one wife. They marry her when they're young and they stay together. When they're very young, the boy's 17, the girl's 16, and they stay together till they're 90 years old. You got a problem with that? Is there something wrong with that? When in this country, a girl is raped by her own uncle or her cousin or her father before she's even 11 or 10 years old, She's had so much sex by the time she gets out of high school, she doesn't even remember all of the guys she's been with. She gets married to one man while she's living with another. When she's engaged to one man, she's having sex with others. By the time she gets married, she's having sex with men and women, some of them with animals and dogs. They get married and remarried and people in between 
so much so they get diseases. They become psychotic. Their brain is crazy. They're on drugs. They commit suicide. The suicide rate amongst women is horrible in this country. And every nine seconds in this country, the United States of America, every nine, can you count to nine? Nine seconds a woman is abused and raped. And this is the statistics that are reported. How about all the ones that are not reported? I'm asking myself a question. Which one looks better? When you look to the Islam and you see that when it's practiced, then the number becomes even smaller, even a small percentage, a fraction of a percent who can even get divorced. There's not such a thing as all this sex because there is no sex in Islam. No sex except in marriage. You say, oh, well, how would you live? I mean, you're going to be, you're going to go to school, you're going to go to college, you've got to go through this and that, you get your doctor's degree, then so and so. How are you going to live without sex? Islam didn't tell you to do that. That's the West telling you you have to get a degree. That's the West telling you you have to own a business. That's the Western mentality telling you you can't get married till you become rich. Islam tells you, the Prophet said, as soon as they're old enough to have babies, get them married. Why? Because that's when they want to have sex. Get married. Work together to build up your fortune. Work together to build up your lives. Work together to build a, a future for these children. Don't wait till you're 40 years old because it happened in my own family. One of the members of my own family waited and waited to get married until... They got married to a person who was older than them and they said, well, let's just don't ever have any kids. And they never did. They had dogs. They have dogs. This is their life. Fifty years old. She has dogs. Talks to when you call her up and talk to her, well, how's, you know, how is Bow Wow doing? And how is, you know, Fido doing? And how... And, oh, well, he's fine. We had to take him to the doctor. His teeth are... This is talking about a dog. Kissing a dog. Where are your children? Where are your grandchildren? Where are your memories? What are you going to have when you die? Nothing. SubhanAllah. And you want to compare these two? Hello, hello, wake up. Now, my final point. Check the statistics on this and see if this is not another direction you're looking the wrong way. If Islam is so oppressive, if Islam is so bad, then why is it the number one fastest growing religion in the world today, especially in the West, especially in the United States of America, and number one is women, ten to one over the men. What do these women know that you don't know? Why are ten times as many women going to Islam? And finally, I'll give you one last example. While I was in Sweden, I was in Malmo, Sweden. I was supposed to give a talk at a university. They decided they were not going to let me speak because they said I wasn't Swedish. But the talk, when they got a professor, they had to give the speech instead. He wanted to talk about Islam. He gave it in English. I stayed because I want to see what he's going to say. He gave a talk about women in Islam. He said there were so many reports in the Netherlands that Sweden, Norway, and uh, Denmark, and 
Holland. And he named several of the countries in his speech. I wish we would have recorded it. Because he said there were so many reports in these countries. He, on his own, went to these countries and interviewed these women, the ones who would talk to him. Tens and tens of women that he spoke to about Islam. That all changed to go to Islam. Some of them atheists, some Christians, some, you know, different religions. All of them, they went to Islam. They all chose it. He said he asked them a lot of questions, but the one common question he asked every one of them is, why did you go to Islam? He said, and these are his words, Wallahi, he said it in English. He said they all answered exactly the same thing. They all said, because Allah guided me. Hello? They all said what? Allah guided me. Keep in mind, these women don't know each other. They're not even in the same country. His own mouth convicts him when he says they all said the same answer. How could they all say the same answer? He questioned that. He said, I asked them, but didn't you get married to a Muslim? Isn't that why you know that you became one? Because you're married to one? And they said, no. Maybe I married a Muslim. Some of them didn't marry Muslims. Some were still married to Christians. They said the same thing. Allah guided me. Then he repeated it. He said, they all said the same thing. Allah guided me. Then he looked at the audience and he said, but I can't accept that because I'm a historian and I just don't accept that. And that was enough for me. I said, this makes my whole day. I'm so glad I came and listened to him say that because I used that in so many speeches since three years ago when that happened. Two or three years ago, whenever it was. Since that day, I never forgot that man saying, even though all of the proof, not some, not 90%, 80%, 50%, 100% of the occasions that he checked something, he found the same answer, he still rejects it. Why? Because it doesn't agree with what he already believes. Now, here's the last point, And I want you to think. We're going to go back one more time. Think what you said when you came to me. Think how I responded to you. And think about the people who are telling you Islam is no good, Islam is bad. We want to go in there and kill the Muslims and take all of their property and their real estate and their uh, property, their oil, all the rest of it. Think what's going on in the world and who's behind it. Think. Because if, if these people are all working together against Islam, what does it mean? One of them is right and one of them is wrong. And if you on the street corner here in Queens, New York, and you don't know your way around in Queens, New York, and I don't. I don't know my way around. I know the street out here is called Steinway, and I only remember that because I used to sell pianos, and Steinway was a piano. Otherwise, I'm going to forget the name of it. And if I come here tomorrow and ask you, where's Hammond Street or Kimball Street, I got mixed up. <laughs> Those are also pianos. I'm just saying to you that if you're here in Queens, New York, and you need directions... And you say, excuse me, which way is the museum? And they say, you go north. Is this east, is this east and west or north and south? Okay, so they say, go north on Steinway. Huh? Go north. You said, hmm, but I think it's south. It looks like it ought to be south. So you ask another person. He said, I lived here all my life. It's north. He said, no, nah, that's... A... Let me ask somebody else. Sir, do you live here? Yes, I do. Okay, uh, which way is the museum? He said, it's north on Steinway. Hmm. 
Let me ask somebody, this lady, ma'am, excuse me, do you live here? Yes. How long have you been here? Seven years. I want to go to the museum. Oh, yeah, that's north on Steinway. Mm, no, I still don't believe it. It must be south. Let me ask somebody else. Sir, which way is the museum? I'm not real sure. Maybe it's south? Ah, oh, yes. Thank you very much. I know it's south. I knew it would be. Yes, sir. How long you lived here? I don't live here. I just got here a few minutes ago. I'm like you. Okay. Guess what? Guess what it means? Guess what it means? You don't want to know the truth. You want it to be your way. That's sad. That's really sad. But now you've heard the truth about Islam. And I'm asking you, are you ready to change your way? Are you ready to accept that there really is a God and that it's all about rights? He has the right to be worshipped. Will you worship Him alone with no partners? Or will you continue to worship your own nafs, your own ego? Are you going to continue to do what you want to do? Chase your own desires, your own lust? Are you going to blame everything on Jesus and let Him take all your punishment? Is that what you're going to do with your life? Is that what He told you to do? Or did He tell you to worship God alone without any partners? Because that's the same message Islam has got. That's the message today. And as we get closer and closer to the last day, you're going to see it born more clear. Maybe you don't want to accept it today, but one day you're going to have to face the fact there really is a God. Are you going to worship Him or what? You're most welcome to check out more information with us. Come to our website, islamtomorrow.com. Come to our mosque. Come visit us in Queens. Masjid Aliman, it's open. You come on in. Talk to us. If we, can't, we don't have somebody speaking English, we'll get a translator for you. But you'll find the Muslims are the most open, loving people there are. And for sure, without doubt, there isn't anybody that gives more respect and more love to women than Muslims. On that note, I just make a little prayer and I ask Allah to guide us and guide all the people on me. And may Allah forgive those who misrepresent Islam unintentionally amongst the Muslims. And may Allah guide those men who do beat their wives whether they're Muslim or non-Muslim, I'm asking Allah guide them, show them the truth of Islam and teach them this is not the way we behave. Because everybody has rights and as the Prophet ﷺ told us, on the day of judgment, everybody's going to get their rights. Everybody's going to get their rights on the day of judgment. Even the goat who has no horns, who was butted and hit by the goat who had horns, he will get his rights on that day. And anybody who did an Adam's weight of good will see it that day. And whoever did an Adam's weight of bad will see it that day. So my Imam is Kaladaratin Khairayyara wa my Imam is Kaladaratin Sharayyara. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guide, guard, and protect all those who serve Him. Amen. You've been listening to Islam Tomorrow. We're broadcasting almost live all the way from Masjid Al-Iman in Queens, New York. And for a rebroadcast of this and other great programs, visit us on the internet at www.islamtomorrow.com. You'll find that we're open 24 hours a day and there's always plenty of what? Free parking.